0: Welcome to the Digital Responsibility Podcast. There is a vibrant community around the world exploring how we drive forward digital innovation, products and services, and generally exploit technology progression for the sustained benefit of society and the planet. On this podcast, you will hear from me, Christopher Joinsen, and Rob Price, two of the original founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility. As we speak to our guests, to hear their stories and piece together what it means to be responsible in the digital age. If you'd like to learn more, take a look at the website, corporatedigitalresponsibility.net.
1: Welcome to episode 11 of season four of the Digital Responsibility podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined tonight by Joe Toscano from the US. Uh, and uh, Christopher, good to see you back uh, as co-host on the podcast today. Joe, would you like to kick off with an introduction? Uh, Tell everybody who you are and and what you've been doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, It's always great to talk to new people and hear their experiences and share stories. So, um, yeah, on me, my background, uh, if you've seen any of my work, uh, you you may have seen the book I wrote called Automating Humanity. You may have seen the TEDx talk I gave called Want to Work for Google. You already do. Or you might have seen the Netflix film, The Social Dilemma. Uh, how did I get here, though, is a background in data science and uh, product design, really. I kind of self-taught from uh, early college days and learned and built my career. And uh, also, was, I mean, I was doing professional data science uh, as a college graduate or uh, in a graduate level system. Um, and so I learned a lot from those experiences and combined them into was a technologist who could talk to both sides of the aisle. I could talk to the data scientists, I could talk to the engineers, I could talk to the creatives, really understood technology well, comprehensively. And then that led into uh, early days, I was consulting for Google out in Mountain View. And I just ran into an area where I just felt that the industry was harming society And then it was becoming to a point where it was empirically proven, you know, we were, that was five years ago when I left, it was the beginnings of like, we're starting to see through empirical research that these are causing problems in society. So I left my role and I've been an advocate for privacy, data protections, uh, online rights since I left. And that's what led into the book. That's what led into the social dilemma. That's what led into a bunch of opportunities Uh, around the the globe, really, to make an impact. And today what I'm doing, I'm CEO and founder of a company that you probably haven't heard of yet because we've been trying to keep it pretty quiet, but it's called DataGrade. And what we're doing is we're creating a risk analysis organization to help companies do the forensics, really, on their privacy work, uh, helping them aggregate details about Fines and consumer complaints and um, media articles and a bunch of intelligence that you really look through your due diligence of a company, uh, either as a procurement team or a legal team or maybe even a marketing team who's looking to pick up uh, new privacy protecting practices or or move into a privacy first world, you know, so what I do now is spend a lot of time looking at the transactions uh, between data online, analyzing the risk of companies sharing between each other and what that means for consumers. And I really enjoy it. I'm excited to talk to you guys about more today and, and also talk to the audience a bit more about
1: it. And, and we're definitely going to come back to that, um, that, that challenge around data and the work that you're doing uh, currently. But I want to go back in time because, I mean, it is well, is it extraordinary or is it actually just inevitable that, of course, our journey from a CDR point of view started around that same time? It's 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a guy that Christopher and I both worked for at the time, Thierry Breton, said I've, famously, I remember, privacy is dead. Uh, and, and 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 when somebody like <clears throat> Thierry says a phrase like that, Thierry being now the EU commissioner introducing the Digital Markets Act, Digital Services Act, you, you, you know that's an interesting point. So... Yeah. um. That 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 trigger for you around concern around the impact on people, society, humanity, and mm-hmm. and what we did around privacy. I mean, to, to to kind of dive out and and write a book to decide I'm going to write a book that actually gets this <laughs> gets this message across is a big step. How, how did you how did you decide to do that? <laughs> that process of I've got <laughs> wait, I'm going to leave. Yeah. I'm going to write a book. Uh, young stupidity. No, I, I
2: think uh, there's a lot that went into it. So I always like, I always kind of wanted to write a book at some point in my life, actually. I, w- I have an English minor. I really would have done, I would have got an English major if it paid the bills. But uh, I, I enjoy writing. I made my name writing. That's really how I grew my career very quickly because, like I said, I could span all the departments and I help people. Uh, basically, I just wrote workflow. And operational guides that people could pick up and, and learn how to expedite their work. Anyway, um <clears throat> I started to get to a point where I was writing series and I was like, you know what? But people don't read the full series necessarily. So that you know, it was like if I want to present my story as like full context, especially about like this big text stuff, it can't be singular articles <clears throat> or even a series, right? Because well, the internet just doesn't have the attention span, right? So <laughs> I said, uh, I, I want to put this all in one place. So at least if you if you buy the book, it's all there, right? You can have the context all together. Um, and the other part too is I wanted to get people away from the screens. So my book is exclusively available in print form. I made it, I, I'm a designer, so I made it as beautiful as I could. Um, actually, I have one right here. Check this out, I'll show you guys. Uh, can you see, let's look here. Let me turn off this blur feature real fast. You can see. So this is the cover of the book. Um, I made it human, right? It looks very human. It's uh, actually a friend of mine. It's his face. It's pushed through a spandex that's spread really wide. Um, But the point of it was to like be the blending of man and machine, right? It's called automating humanity. I felt that we were and kind of still are at the precipice of uh, automating everything that is human. Right. Almost like think of chat GPT, the human capabilities we just automated. It's not overnight. That's what people think, but it's not, you know, it's been coming. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's bad as long as it's done humanely. And that was kind of the other point. We're still at a point where we can auto, we can turn this automation into humane practices. So yeah, it's it's really a thing where I wanted to I wanted to visualize uh some of the the impact. Like you can see, this is like the like button and how we're really just treated as like test subjects. And that's kind of the imagery, right? I wanted people to to really graphically and visually understand this, because if you're making a book for the general public, you know, I'm from Nebraska, right? The middle of the country. This is like not a place where people talk about these things. So I learned how to talk about it going home. And I just thought, you know, we can't talk about this as speaking heads <clears throat> or or just like, here's a big textbook that you're going to use as a doorstop, right? I wanted to make something beautiful that people would put on their coffee table. And the least level of engagement is flipping through to look at the photos, you know. Um and that's what got that's what that's what got me there. So it was really hard. I still I'm going to go with my first answer, which is young and dumb is what drove me to, to write a book. But it, I think it turned out well. It made some good impact.
0: That's awesome. And really inspiring, actually, is um, yeah. a, a potentially aspiring author. And I'm sure lots of other aspiring authors out there that are interested in this topic and. Um, that, that design choice to convert in that way is really cool. When when you talked about um, the attention span of the internet, I thought you were going to go down a TikTok path, but uh-huh. I, I appreciate that you you took the other
1: route.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask. You mentioned earlier um, how you'd witnessed the the uh, the harming of society, and I've heard you refer to it before as the perfect crime, in in a sense, for for many reasons. Um, in your view. And from your experience, is that an intentional act that those companies are undertaking? Are they seeing the bigger picture effects of their work (sighs) and going ahead anyway? Or are they in some sense of blissful ignorance as they drive this innovation that's always got an upside?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of people ask me about that. And um, I think that we are at a point where, yeah, if companies aren't changing now, absolutely it's malicious. Right. Like back when I left, I felt it was the, the edge of it. It was like we were just starting to see the research come out that like, you know, five, ten year longitudinal research saying this is problematic kind of thing. And so. I think originally, right, we do have quotes, even in the social dilemma a couple uh who people who had come out and said, Yeah, we did do this intentionally. Maybe at the very top there was a couple conversations about this, or maybe it really was their strategy. I guess we will never fully know. But I don't think the people like day to day below senior management, maybe those even people who were featured in the film necessarily were malicious. I think, you know, and the thing that bothered me the most, so I did, like I said, graduate level research and I had to I was formally educated about the ethics of research and like how to ask questions the right way and why it's damaging if you don't do X, Y, and Z in your research and the way you build your methodologies. And there was just a lot of like UX, for example, user experience design. That field was booming at that time, five, six years ago. It was like the beginning of everybody wants this, needs this thing. And so everybody's trying to fill holes in the shit before it sinks. And so I think you had a lot of hires that were very qualified people in regards to design. They were maybe got a master's of fine arts or had a background in product design, things like that, but not trained in like classical research methods. And there was just a lot of things that popped up because I believe the industry grew up faster than it was prepared for. And so the way I think about it now is like, I look at good and bad companies a lot differently. Maybe that's because I've run my own businesses now. I don't know exactly why, but. I believe a company that does something that's harmful to society uh, is not necessarily bad if they understand it, recognize that it's real, and change their behavior in the future. Because mistakes do happen, and at the pace of growth that these companies have made, like there are mistakes that are going to happen. And it's true of any company. Look at Coca-Cola, 100 years old. Like, you know, this happens. Um, if you correct the ship, I believe that that's what makes a good company. And if you don't, especially after empirical research, that's I believe makes a bad company. And that's why I believe these companies are not uh, worthy of our our labor for them, our our money from them, things like that. I think that they really need to change their ways if they want to maintain their user base over the course of the next, I'd say even 5, 10 years. I think meta we're already seeing is having dramatic impact because they're not making changes and people don't believe in them. And the younger generation doesn't want to use their platforms, right? Like, so... Anyway, that, that's kind of
1: my that's the short of it, I guess, for me. I guess there's two two challenges in my head. One one is mm-hmm. once you're on that path, it's really difficult to change. So yeah. so
0: organizations,
1: mm-hmm. indeed, people, all of us, find it very yeah. difficult to fundamentally change direction. Mm-hmm. From if, if we're driven by a shareholder economy, then then our role is to make money, and 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 we focus on making money. However, we can possibly do that better than others who are making money so that's mm-hmm. the first challenge. second challenge is we know what we know so i was speaking to a journalist um a couple of years ago and the journalist said to me well hang on a minute kind of most of us journalists are trained in english so why do you think we write about tech the way we do we don't know tech we don't know how it works yeah. Yeah. and his words not mine i hasten to add equally i know from talking to technologists like myself i count myself as a technologist then yeah. If, if I have a conversation around digital human rights with a yep. technologist, well, how, are they necessarily qualified to have that kind of conversation? I mean, it, it's, it's, we know what we know. So I, I guess the question then becomes, how do you fundamentally drive change? And, and how do you give people insight through probably other people as well in collaboration yeah. to the consequential impacts of the things that they're plowing on regardless? And any thoughts from the conversations that you, you had either in the book or or, or indeed more recently? Sure. Um, so two issues I heard. One was
2: that it's hard to translate these issues to the, the lay person. Number two, the other one was that economics, the way it works, the way uh, capitalism set up doesn't allow for this. Um, I would say I disagree with the first one. Um Although I understand the concern for sure. Um, and the second one, absolutely true. So, yeah, I mean, on the rebuttal of, okay, w- the economic system doesn't work this way. I think it does. And I think that we're seeing it live. I think that's why Facebook's having these problems there right now. Consumer choice, like, yeah, we don't see it in two or three years or five years or even now 20 years of Facebook. But over the long arch of history, I do believe that, you know, free market does reward those who, do what the what the society needs and does it in a way that benefits them that is more than the cost right or valued there you know i don't think facebook set that value proposition anymore for a lot of people but that being said i think the flaw in these businesses is actually lack of creativity in their business model i think that they and if you have a like the appropriate business model i think it does sustain very well but like they have one stream of revenue. W- when has that ever been like the success in life that you, you only have one stream of revenue? Because if that fails or something like com- like regulation comes in play, uh changes everything, right? Uh, they didn't have a backup plan. They never really creatively thought about what they should be doing. I think that you can say this about a lot of internet companies. And I think you can also go back to the history of VC where they want you to write an idea on a napkin. Like, yeah, of course, it's going to be super simple. And it scales to infinity, but then there's a lot of things to clean up. I think stakeholder capitalism is the way to move forward. And I do think some of these companies are starting to see that, right? That you have to take care of people for them to want to give you money. I think I've seen recently, I'm sure you've seen too, Twitter's new pay for verification, Facebook's now promoting that. Do I think those are going to be super successful? Um, No, not necessarily. But I, you know, I even, I wrote about that in my book. I do think that's something they should have been doing for a long time. Think of like, we had to pay for um, you know, printing press access, we had to pay for radio broadcast access, like it's different. Every generation has their communications tool that, that, you know, that becomes a tool. Well, if they created a platform where the people who are making the most value out of the platform, right, which is who? That is the publishers, that is the media, that is the people who are influencers, absolutely. Get the most value out of the platform. So, if we made a system where they paid in, maybe also think about this you could create like a licensing program for this too, uh, where it is like there is an absolutely free and uh, un, we don't want to call it unidentified, but uh, anonymous level where you can come in, you don't have to be verified, you can do everything everybody else does. It's up to you. You have no stamps or, or badges or anything, whatever that is that it looks like. I, I don't know. But um, free, unverified, anonymous, so that people can be free to do what they want. Then you have another layer, which is people who willfully say, hey, I'm going to pay, let's say, two bucks a month or whatever it is, the fee. And they want to get verified that they are a real human behind the screen. Not everybody wants that, but some people would do it. Then you have the higher tiers of like, okay, I am an influencer of a certain level or a organization of a certain scale. And so you're getting this value point in which you can get licensed and you take a test that makes sure you understand your responsibilities, maybe through terms of service, all the different things as a publisher. Uh, and, and then we really have an enforcement mechanism too on the internet. So these companies, Twitter, Facebook, whoever it may be in the future can say, hey, you took a test. You 100% knew what you needed to do as a publisher on this platform to earn income and do all the things, and you clearly are not following your responsibilities. So not only do we get better content and verified people but they also have a separate revenue stream. You know, imagine if Facebook was 60% ad revenue or 30% ad revenue rather than 99%. Then they could build a platform for the people. They could build a platform for the people who are paying for their actual customers, right? Um and it wouldn't have to be so not beneficial to society.
1: So so, so building on that then and we've talked about maybe um big tech and, and whether the answer is big tech or otherwise, what, what are the best examples? There? Who's listening out there? What big organisations are, are, are redefining their model, thinking more about having a positive impact on society as a whole? Who who would you highlight as maybe not best practice, because I don't know that we yet know what best practice is, but at least better practice?
2: Um. Well, are you talking
1: like social media per se, like that same vein? Any, any, any organization that you would look at oh, okay. in terms okay. of the way that they use data or tech and thinking more positively, and and I guess from a transformational point of view, i.e. they, they yeah. have recognized that what they do needed to evolve, needed to change, and they've made change.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think in some senses, we'll be able to talk about that better in like a year or two or three as people actually have change happen because I think probably you've seen the same where the regulations have been out for in GDPR at least for half a decade now and there's still a lot of companies who either haven't changed or like are in the process of getting things stable, right? Um, But I'd say in regards to like what companies do I look to to like shape the space in the future? um, This is probably expected but like I really like where Signal's going. Um, I think that I don't know how big of a competitor they'll come to Instagram or WhatsApp or whatnot, but I think it's good that they're trying. I think they've now recognized that they can have an impact. And I do think people are looking at it different. Like I post about it on my social media to remind friends about it. And I've seen more messages to, you know, they want to learn more about it now. Um, Proton, uh, Proton Mail is expanding. I've been part of their beta for uh, their drive. They're building a, somebody needs to make a better Google Drive. A privacy protecting Google Drive. It's like, you know, I mean, we don't have that alternative now. We have Microsoft Teams, which is okay, but not quite Google. Um, you have Zoho. So I look to Zoho as a leader because they have built their whole stack. I don't know if did you have you seen that? You know that? Mm-hmm. Zoho's built their whole stack, their servers, their uh everything, and to end uh they've built so they fully control what's happening inside their ecosystem. I thought that's very interesting. They're um Yeah, I've met with their chief revenue officer a couple of times for articles for Forbes I've written and uh, stand up act Zoho, you know, Um, I would love to see the interface become more usable and the functionality a little bit more refined. But I really appreciate what they're doing, because I think that once you can do that, you can start to get people off, you know, right now people are stuck inside Google a lot of times because there's not quite that level of ecosystem put together anywhere else that works that well. Similar to Apple, right? People don't move from the Apple devices because it syncs really well with their computer. Um, There has to be a really competitive product, not just like the features are there, the functions work. It's got to work like it, you know? So I don't know exactly where it'll be in a couple of years, but I've seen, I, I mean, I assume you feel the same way. I've seen more growth and competition in the last two or three years and changes on the verge. So for me... That's great, right? That's that's a revolution.
1: And, and optimism is, is an important thing at the moment. Um, so that's so that's a good thing. Of course, that conversation does brilliantly lead us into your latest project because um so let's so let's let's spend some time on that. Why don't you I know you said kind of it's a bit under wraps at the moment. So yeah, yeah, I, I didn't like, what let's... you want to share, but tell us a yeah. bit more. We're just at the beginnings of getting
2: private beta kicked off right now. So Um, By the end of month, the end of uh, March, the end of the month, March, uh, we will have some beta users on there testing it out. But, you know, what I've seen uh, both in practice and from talking to people with much more experience than I have is that there's not a great tool for like mid-market and lower like small market um, companies or organizations at this point, and also not consultants, right? Consultants don't really have a, independent consultants at least, don't really have like a, a tool stack uh, that allows them to maintain work as let's say like a one trust or a wire wheel or some of these other competitors costs significant amounts of cash. Right. Um, I think that the digital forensic side of privacy is so time consuming and cumbersome and redundant. and, And, and I just saw this and I was like, there's gotta be a better way to, to do this, to organize it, to, to make it so that we can map the internet together and understand, uh, some benchmarks, like where should we be and what's reasonable and how do we make a plan to get to the next rung, you know? So data grade is that for us. It's a software that uh, mostly right now is focused on mapping processor ecosystems, data flows. Um, What we're doing right now that I haven't seen anybody else doing is really enriched detail into your vendors and your vendors' vendors uh, and the vendors' vendors. Like we're going down the line, kind of like you've seen some of the, uh, if you do like a cookie scan on your website and you see it where it'll show like, here's all the cookies you have on your website. Here's all the cookies those cookies have. You know, those, I haven't really seen that happen for vendors so that we can really truly understand where does data start and where does it end and how is it used in between? Uh, so that's what we analyze. Like I said, in the beginning, we analyze the risk between data transactions and that's the biggest value. So like another thing to consider um, a month ago, I think actually, the EU, court EU just said that they're going to make it so that when people make a request, an access request, um, that they can request companies also disclose all the processors, all the vendors. Uh, that's a big task for a lot of companies to go and just present this automatically. So there's a lot of redundancy in having to go look them up, present the proper information, all this kind of stuff. So for us, you know, what, what they could do is they could come in, they could just tell us what tools they're using, and then we can help them map their ecosystem and the risks associated downstream very quickly. You know that's what that's what we want to build uh is is that because transactions between companies is the most interesting thing to us
1: and 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 i mean when we first spoke about it um i just had to kind of bring it back to cdr principle four and and that focus around understanding where you were using data or algorithms from third parties from the supply chain mm-hmm. and, and knowledge that uh, the authenticity and that they were verified um right. I've talked before about um, so is it the Software Materials Act or Bill in the that's, U.S. Yes, level, where where people are very much focused around you need to understand how the technology is put together because again yeah. where where do you pull it from? So yeah. so, so that's brilliant. How many people are, are are kind of getting it when when you're in those conversations? Um, because I guess many organisations won't have that transparency across the supply chain of the data uh, that yeah. they use. Yeah.
2: I think it's very early still. I think people are learning the value right now. So it's a lot of education when I'm talking to people, I do believe. But I do think that the law is headed that way in general. Because like, right, we have privacy law that's really focused on like company A within this box, you, whatever company you are, and here's your operations and here's your legal responsibilities. And it's kind of at a point in history where if if you just have an agreement between you and the other company, it's just like hands off, right? Wipe your hands clean. Uh, Whatever they do, it's their problem at that point. Uh, I don't think that's sustainable. Like some of the biggest privacy risks are when it gets exchanged from one company to the other and their responsibilities and all those things. So we need some way to verify that. And yeah, I, I agree. Like it's still pretty early days, but yes, S-bomb is a big thing coming up that we've also noticed. It's I've heard talk of that also in the US. So it's not just a European thing that this is coming. And and like I said, having watched this for the last half decade, I just believe that's where it's going. Because um, that's pretty much... I think the biggest black box we have on the internet at this point is uh, what's happening once I give my data to a company, not only within it but beyond. Um, and it's crazy because we're seeing like we're digging into the ecosystem. You know, I spoke to you about how we're building this. We're building a service. I kind of thought about it like um, like Google Maps. When you use Google Maps and you look up a restaurant, and it gives you that card. Right. And it helps describe the business, all that. Well, a lot of people don't realize, like in the early days of that, Google was just crawling the web with public information and building those. So we've been doing the same thing for vendor analysis. And right now we have over 12,000 companies in our database that are uh, probably. 80% 80% enriched at this point uh, to where we can really map this stuff. And we're seeing layer one, you know, you have average of like 40 to 60 vendors in the first layer, like all your vendors and then your vendors, vendors, it pops up in you know mid hundreds at that point. And then the third layer there, it's, you're talking like four to 600. So um, you, you really start to see the scale of like, okay, once this leaves this company, it's an explosive amount of exposure for these data points. The risk is just becomes exponential right um so yeah for me that's where it's headed and it's also the most interesting side of privacy for me like i said mapping all this out and seeing what i think is just you know it's the root system of the internet really
1: so christopher um conscious that um and joe was talking there it was kind of very much also seen as an asset for um consultants and and, uh, so i guess as a consultant and in the context of maybe some of the clients that you've been working with um Mm -hmm. any, any thoughts or observations from yourself yeah, I,
0: I was reflecting really as you were speaking, Joe, about the um, how we that that blocks black box that you are referring to and and seeking to drive greater transparency, um, which I see a huge opportunity for in a, in a transactional sense in in how a, a company might choose their suppliers or how they drive their um, their ethics through their decision making and and being able to actually understand. Um, the, the choices that they're making and the effect it's having. Um, I suppose um I'm, I'm somewhat conflicted on for the for the day-to-day person in mm. in 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 serving to educate them on how their information is being used and inform them on a day to day basis about the companies that they're they're working with. Um, I don't quite see at the moment that the day to day person sees the value in their data, um, mm. and, and I'm not entirely sure they need to see the value in their data. Um, I I feel like we we the the value we receive when we go to an ad and um, in, in a website and we accept cookies and we get content shared with us and interact with it, that's a very that's the thing that the user recognises.
2: Yeah,
0: and I, I'm not sure they're going to want to see behind the covers. Um, I guess it might be a challenge you've, you've come across before.
2: <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I agree with you in many senses. I don't think the consumers understand the value of their data, and I don't know that they will in the near future. I think, uh, so for me, I see this action, if you will, and kind of a, a pyramid, a staged phase. First stage is awareness. Second stage is literacy. And then the highest level is action. And right now we're still in a period of awareness. Like I think <clears throat> Ed Snowden 2013 was probably like the thing that burst the knowledge bubble in the world, right? Like after that, a year, even six months, even people's brains just, Oh, forget about it. And then you had uh, Cambridge Analytica, the great hack on Netflix as well. I um, had a couple other movies similar that came out in between the great hack and, and the social dilemma. And then, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, the social dilemma, it broke, it broke the internet, it broke the world. Like it got the message to the pe- people. I would say, yes, we did, but only because of all the things that came before us, that laid a fa- foundation, right? With, we reached, what really happened is we reached society at the perfect moment in time where they were aware enough to understand it. And we had made something creative enough that helped them understand it fully you know, it's not like we gave them the, the full depths of the internet, but they understood enough to where it connected. You know, it's like a uh, conscious flow States, right. When you're in sports or something it's like in order to enter that, the challenge has to meet the level of talent. And basically we hit the earth at that point. But Like, let's say five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, our content will probably be boring to people. Like, yeah, I've known that for a decade. Right. Um, so yeah, it just happened to be the right place the right time. And what, well, I believe we really did is we gave, again, a platform that other people can build upon. And I hope they do. You know, I think a lot of people, they spoke about how the, the story was incomplete or didn't give everyone all the technical details it should have. And I agree, it did not. And like I said, number one, I don't think the world was ready for it at that point in history. Still not ready for the full details. Uh, number two, movies are an art form, right? It's, it's not necessarily about making experts. It's about getting a message out there and creating a conversation. And that's really what we did. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm moving forward. I hope that more people build upon it. And I'm I'm happy with how far of an impact we've had. But <clears throat> our next step is definitely literacy. We have to finish out that next step. And that might take, who knows, right? Think of literacy with the printing press, 1450s or what whatnot it was with the printing press that first started really becoming a thing. And now to this day, we still have illiterate people around the world. The internet makes things move faster, but maybe we can see it within hundred years. You know.
0: Sure. And um, my main focus in the world of corporate digital responsibility has always been on those mm-hmm. that have been made vulnerable by this technical, a mm-hmm. digital change that we're going through. Those that feel the impact of it most acutely, whether the individual that's become addicted to social media, whether the the generation that don't feel as comfortable utilizing these. Um, uh, digital banking, for example, and and but yet can't get access to um, physical banking anymore, and I think it would be really interesting to model that that story you've just shared about the literacy um, the scale. Um, to those particular generations are most susceptible and vulnerable to the effects of the digital world and, and really provide that lens on, on how they need our support. Because in my my view, they need to be the people that we protect most. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, and that's part of what I'm trying to do with DataGrade too, right? Um, of course, I want to help companies move forward. That's that's what we're selling. That's the business. That's how we make money and sustain but we'll also be generating public-facing report cards for companies, whether they want us to or not. And it's not like we're doing anything offensive. It's all stuff that's already public, but it's our grade system. And um, what that allows customers, if you will, or consumers to do is learn more about the companies they use. And, and I think at scale, similar to how Google helped map the earth, we can help map the Internet and create literacy opportunities You know, in a way that's good both for society and for the companies.
1: I'm reminded of the conversation we had um, <clears throat> many podcasts ago with the Swiss Digital Initiative um, and, and they'd kind of boiled that point around how how do you, what does the consumer want? Well, a consumer wants to know it's OK um, mm-hmm. and, and therefore they've got a badging system that they've defined. So gold, silver, bronze for websites for kind of key Swiss businesses. Uh, which was all around the way in which their data or, or they managed your data. So it was a reflection mm-hmm. on privacy and security and things like that. But it was a it's it's an audit framework. And I guess kind of what you've got on, about to launch is, is an automated badging system because you'll be able to say, actually, in terms of the the way The data flowing across the supply chain and what we know about that supply chain, then we can deduce that there is a risk or less risk with this particular organization in the context of what we observe. Right, exactly.
2: And of course, it helps when companies, you know, sign up, use the platform, right? It gets us more accurate information, but... Uh, there is a lot that we can do just with public information, and, and then we build upon it as it gets entered into our system. Uh, similar to Google, it becomes more of a crowdsourced engagement. And so um, you really build with the world on this point in terms of mapping things, and hopefully we provide equal value to the people using our tools. But um, yeah, I'm very excited to see what people think about it. I'm very excited to to launch it and let people play with it. Um, because this is stuff that it's already being done it can be done but it's often more technical like you need to know how to pull from an API or um, read different scripts that are on the front end of a browser and tags coming in and out things like that that yeah it's just not so easy for everybody and so now we can expand that opportunity to others and allow like I said more literacy both within the profession and beyond so that we can have a bigger conversation
1: feels like feels like a great thing to kind of plan to do another one of these conversations in 6 to 12 months time when you you've, you've yeah. some of that kind of experience seen some of that insight i guess my final question then Joe, is um what what can the what what can the community of listeners and the broader uh, cdr community do to help you so so if anyone's listening thinking mm-hmm. that sounds really cool how can we help
2: what would yeah, I help mean, right, to you right now uh the Best way you can reach out if you're interested is go sign up for the beta access. We're looking for early customers who are in the field and want to give us professional, like very passionate critiques about what we're doing because we also realize that what we're doing uh, can become sensitive you know, at the scale of what we're doing and the ways that we are critiquing companies. So we want to make sure that our score is fair and equitable uh, to all stakeholders. This is not just something we want to name and shame. We want to make something that really integrates with business well, and creates an impact, not just a, like I said, a shaming opportunity, so.
0: Fantastic, It's we'll be certainly watching along and I'd love to get involved in the beta, that that sounds really cool. And um, yeah, I can reflect on a lot of the themes that we picked up on today and it's the real importance of them to all of us going forward. So hopefully we'll get some some engagement back from this and the chance to, to engage with you in the future. That'd be really cool. Thanks yeah. so much for your time today, Joe. I, th- I think we've run out of, of time for this podcast, but um, it's it's been a really interesting discussion uh, and all power to you in all these next steps.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. Thanks, everyone.